I wasn't looking. I, I didn't go looking. How old is she? 22. What's her name? Cindy. Cute. Cynthia. Why are you telling me? It's been bothering me. Feel better? approach this film with a little bit of our discussion of the film rather with a bit of trepidation because it's one of the few films normally you recommend movies to, to me this time I've recommended one to you yes uh, and the the thing about this film which is really striking which I've only seen for the first time recently and it was made in the mid 80s I think 86 well it made in 85 yeah uh, the thing is John Frankenheimer who directed it is one of my favorite all-time film directors and it's based on well, I noticed. That's what you asked me to get hold of uh, Dead Bang recently. Yeah, De Dead Bang, which I then uh, immediately tracked down a, a copy of it, bought legitimately because you know that's how I roll. And it's a great Indeed. Dead Bang is a great movie, and one we must discuss. Another John Frankenheimer pick. But the thing was, Fifty Two Pickup is based on a novel by Elmer Leonard, who's one of my favourite novelists. So, and I'd know, for some reason, I'd never known that Frankenheimer had done a, a, an Elmer Leonard book. So when I found this out, I had to have it. And there's actually a, uh, a Blu-ray on Arrow, which I immediately went out and bought. I'm very glad I did. However, this is sort of about what you thought of the movie. So, Well, I'm quite surprised that you have a lot of books on interviews, and I'm sure you've read a lot of interviews with Elmore Leonard about his films. Yeah. And the same day that I watched 52 Pickup, I watched The Moonshine War, which is <laughs> an Elmore Leonard script. It is. And it was, without doubt, one of the worst films I have ever seen. I mean, just awful. I'm dying to see it, but I think that he would very much agree with you. Right. Is he happy with 52 Pickup? Much happier. Well, well, I like it's it's nice, it's good. It's a perfectly serviceable thriller, um, especially of the canon mold, because you. Can, can we just briefly explain to people who don't know what canon is? <laughs> if they don't know by now, they never will. Uh, canon. Did you watch that canon documentary? By the Not way? yet, but I am looking forward to it. So basically, they were a, a movie studio. Yes, they were a movie studio started by two insane uh, men who essentially. Their way of working was to they were make a poster. Israeli entrepreneurs. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Get, get, and and they, they'd founded their fortunes on some teen sex comedies called the Lemon Popsicle series, which were made in a, they were sort of like Animal House, Israeli style. But yeah, go on to explain. Israeli soft porn, yeah. which <laughs> is just. It doesn't bear an thinking image to about. conjure with. Yeah. So, but <laughs> well, I've seen them, so I don't even need to think about. You were about to explain the modus operandi of how their, their names were. Menachem Golan and uh, Yenahem uh, Menahem Golan and Yen Yenah oh, I can't bloody remember. Anyway, these, you have to ask, these two you? guys and had explained to Menahem Golan Yoram Globus. Thank you. There you go. go Golan, they were called the Go Go's Golan Globus. Explain what their uh, approach to making movies was. 
They, well, early on, it was a question of uh, much the same as the Italian uh, directors would do, is you take something that's popular and you try and make a, a good copy of it and sell it to the masses via the home video market. That was pretty much where their market lay. Uh, but they did hit cinemas, and sometimes they'd hit big, but not often. So what did they... a lot of the time they were dealing with failures. But the way they started working by the time you get to 86 is that they would go down to Cannes with a load of film posters they'd made up uh, with a, two stars and a film title and a fake poster and try and get investment for that film. Two stars they meaning don't... two movie stars. Yeah. And, yeah, it would be, you know, they'd have Whoopi Goldberg and... Steve McQueen. <laughs> There's obviously not. Neither of these was... people have ever appeared in a Golden Globus movie, as far as I know. God, I wish they had. But that would be a hell of a buddy cop. But, but uh, well, I was, if people <laughs> are interested in this, the the podcast of ours to check out is Ten to Midnight, which goes into quite a lot of detail about this. It does, but you have to understand there are expectations of a canon film, and they are low. They are very low. Diff- this defies those expectations because it's actually a very good film and you wouldn't think it was a canon film until the last minute. Yeah, the, la- the, the ending is a bit dodgy. <laughs> now, you were asking about Elmer Leonard and his satisfaction. With he hated most of the movies that were made of his work and not least because Elmer Leonard's, particularly his crime novels, are very quirky and based on character, eccentric character at that, with unusual and very funny dialogue. And usually that was the first thing that a filmmaker would throw away. And so... The movies that didn't do that, who didn't discard the most characteristic aspects of it and were, were all the better for it, are Out of Sight, which is a Steven Soderbergh movie, Get Shorty, which was directed by the guy who did The Adams Family, can't remember his name, but again, Get Shorty is a very good one, and Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown, which is based on Rum Punch. But I didn't know that there was a fourth movie, which is a genuine Elmore Leonard movie, because it, it preserves those core aspects of his writing and there is 52 pickup is another good elmore leonard movie you would either assume that someone was trying to make an elmore leonard style film or that you had an elmore leonard script here because it does tick most of the boxes have you read much elmore leonard or any i thought i had but the more i read through his books the more i think i'm i mean we had this problem the other day that i was convinced that i'd read an Elmore Leonard book with Willie Nelson in but it was Kinky Friedman yeah. and I was way off the mark Crow, well not so that they were writing they were quirky crime novels working at the same time roughly the same time yeah but um, like I say my, my expectations for Elmore Leonard I'd never really noticed that he wrote his screenplays he, I'd always assumed that other people adapted he these he generally things, doesn't so. what happened with this film was that they had a first draft by this young playwright and based on the novel and uh Frankenheimer hated it, and so did Roy Scheider, who's the star of the movie. So they went back to Elmore Leonard and said, help. And with Leonard's, working with Elmore Leonard, Scheider, Frankenheimer, uh, the, the three of them basically reinstated a lot of stuff from the book. I think it's safe to say I would love this film if it weren't Roy Scheider and it was Charles Bronson instead. Well, Scheider, here's the thing, all through the movie... And I thought he was very effective and he was fine and all the rest of it, but <laughs> William Friedkin said this damning thing. He made a movie called Sorcerer with Roy Scheider in it. Yeah. And he said the problem is Roy Scheider's a second banana. <laughs> and he's not wrong. <laughs> he, he doesn't have much in the way of presence. And I, in many ways, that's what you want from a character like this. You need, this is an everyday guy who's done well in business, this, this, but he's getting blackmailed. This is what... Uh, 
Friedkin was getting at is that you need a star for a star part, and he's not a star. No. Uh, so but I'm assuming that he was on the Canon payroll around this time. But uh, you know, Frankenheimer liked working with him because he's a proper actor, and he, you know, I, I, we shouldn't do him down too much. But he is a second banana, and that's part of the problem. So the, it didn't feel like he was committed to the film. That's odd. He seemed bored. Oh to me. well, I, I I disagree with that, but I do agree that he's not. If you cast somebody more effective in that part, the whole movie would just levitate. It would lift off the ground in a way that it doesn't yet. But it's still a very good movie, particularly the bad guys. Have you by any chance got IMDb open so we can credit the three bad guys? Oh, well, you've got John Glover, who is your, your usual 80s guy. Yeah, he's the guy um, who runs the porn cinema. He's yes. fabulous. Superb voice. I think he's called Alan. He's Alan, yep. So, uh, yeah, his voice on the beginning of that uh, of the original blackmail video he, his commentary on that is so, so creepy and the dialogue is straight out of Elmore Leonard you see the, the thing about this so this is a movie about a respectable businessman who's being blackmailed basically uh, and the whole, whole thing goes south very quickly and there's these three blackmailers and they're an eccentric trio so there's John Glover is as Alan who's the guy who yes. runs the peep show that's uh, Robert Trebor right do you remember what the character he's play, playing is called uh, I, well there's three there's Alan Leo and there's, and, there's, yeah, there's, he's Leo he's Leo and then there's Bobby Bobby Sands Bobby Short he, Bobby Shy Bobby Shy and he's played by Clarence Clarence Williams the third and he's, if you want to no but he's really great and he's he's kind of a, like a black exploitation guy who's been helicoptered into this and he's a wonderful character in the book and in the movie because he's this armed robber basically and he's very cool and he's uh, he's very dangerous. And his girlfriend, who's played by Vanity, like that is her name, isn't it? <laughs> Vanity. Well, it's... Vanity, here's the weird thing. In the last couple of days, um, before this, I'd watched three Vanity films You're... within the space How of How could that even be? I'd never heard of her before, just so people know. She You've was, not heard of Vanity? Oh. She was a print, protégé of Prince. She was a singer first before she became an actress, but she's great. So tell me about these three other Vanity films. I have to see them. Never Too Young to Die. <laughs> Now, genuinely, this is one with Gene Simmons in it, and I, I will of very Kiss quickly... Of Kiss fame. Yeah, and it's also got George Lazenby. Now, Oh, has it also got the creepy kid in from Profondo Rosso? No. Oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> I will read you the plot of Never Too Young to Die, the vanity film. Okay. A top-secret agent is murdered, so his estranged son, a high school gymnast, teams up with his dad's attractive female partner to stop the psychotic hermaphrodite gang leader who killed him <laughs> and now plans a major terrorist attack. You had me at psychotic hermaphrodite gang leader. <laughs> now, Vanity, though, is a really good actress. She's obviously a good singer if she's working with Prince, and she's smoking. So tell me what the other... Well, she's also in uh, Deadly Illusion. Which uh, is, is a movie I've heard of, though, I think. It's a, it's a Cohen film. Uh, uh, Larry Cohen. Cohen Billy film. D. Williams and Morgan Fairchild. It's, it's all right. It's another Canon film, so I think she must have been tied to Canon at the time. And the last one, the other one I watched, the third one Action is Jackson. Action Jackson, which is yeah. a Chuck Norris movie? No. Similar kind of thing, then. <laughs> Not remotely. Oh, okay. What is Action Jackson? <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, oh, two seconds. I've, I've, just, I've, 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 no, I've actually heard of it, which is you know quite an achievement for these movies. It's, it's another one. Uh, so you've got uh, Carl Weathers, Craig T. Nelson... Um, Sharon Stone. It's it's a it's an action, canon action film. I'm pretty was sure Sharon it's Sharon Stone before she was Sharon Stone, presumably. 
Yeah, but I mean, there's a there's a lot of Sharon Stone after she was Sharon Stone. And it's <laughs> now, all the same. It's I, all just well, as bad. I think Vanity is wonderful. There's only a great character, but I thought she was good in this as well. well I was we, expecting her not to be good in this, so I was quite impressed. I think the cast She's, is faultless. I think Anne Margaret is wasted in the role of the wife because she doesn't have anything to do in the book. She's a, uh, a more well-rounded character, but in this movie, she's just there to be victimised, basically. But well, uh, as we've covered before, yes. and I think you know what my criticisms may be here, is that women do not get served well in this film. Okay, yeah. Uh, the parts are horribly written. There's not a lot for them to do. So the fact that Vanity comes out of it well, I think, is more down to her than the script. Well, the only female role I liked in this yes. was the girl selling tickets for the porn theatre. Okay, now. There's, you're not wrong that there's a basic flaw in this because what happens is this respectable businessman who's called Mac, is he called Mac? Something like that. Oh, I don't know. I just called him... Uh, Roy Scheider. Uh, Roy Scheider. He is... Harry Mitchell. What? Harry Mitchell. Mitch. So he's called Mitch. So he's being blackmailed because he's having an affair with this beautiful young woman. But, yes. and the reason that this has come about is that she's worked in a sleazy kind of peep show joint with that Leo runs, and so he's sussed out that she's go, dating this rich guy and he works out that he's a potential blackmail victim. That's why this has all come about. But there's a problem with both the film and the book, and the problem is that Cinny, which is the name of the, the girl that Scheider's having the affair with, is in the book she doesn't appear at all and the movie she almost doesn't appear at all and the reason for that is initially they try and blackmail Mitch uh, with, with the footage of him being with this woman when that doesn't work they, they make this insane leap which is that they decide to murder Sinny and then frame him for the murder unless he pays up now this is a strange thing to do and it's very gruesome but the one of the side effects of it is that Cinny's in the movie for about 30 seconds and she's not in the book at all. So women are, you're quite right, are not well served. And the other problem is, is that I'm not sure who I'm meant to root for in this film. Well, that's only because you don't like Roy Scheider. No, Roy Scheider is the cause of all the trouble. If he hadn't had an affair, none of this would have happened. Well, I don't jump onto that bandwagon quite surely. My problem with him is if he... If he had just gone to the police, there wouldn't have been a problem. Do you, do you see what I mean? If because he well, doesn't, yeah, I suppose so. If because he doesn't go to the police, Sinny uh, gets murdered, and then his wife gets kidnapped. And you know, like it, so, I we're both in agreement that he's the, the problems stem from his behaviour. But I just you know I, I would give him the affair, but I, I wouldn't give him the trying to sort of deal with this on his own as a vigilante. Because he's not equipped for it either. Well, he, he is sort of... There's some weird setup with his sudden incredible expertise with explosives oh, this, this and is electronics. Just, this is just so ridiculous. He is sort of equipped for it in a roundabout way. In the book, okay, spoiler alert, folks. In the book, it's kind of quite well set up that he produces a bomb. When he's going to pay the blackmail, he actually gives them a briefcase with a bomb in it. So this isn't the finest thing in the book. The finest thing in the book is the characterization chiefly of the bad guys, which is just wonderful. Uh, Frank and I refer to them as a Dickensian uh, clique of bad guys but in the book, the climax of the book is he blows up the main bad guy uh, Alan with this bomb that he's built in the movie, because it's a movie and it has to go beyond that they, they've sort of upped the ante so that he's 
booby-trapped this sports car so that it, it's, it's sort of like Knight Rider. The car locks itself, a tape starts <laughs> playing, the bad guy's in the car and can't escape, and then it blows up. That, I agree that that's pitiful. <laughs> but by dwelling on all these negative points, we're making people think they shouldn't see this movie. I think that people should see this movie. There's some good stuff in there. I, as we've already mentioned, the initial blackmail video is really good. I think that's very well made, very well presented. And I also really like the scene where Roy Scheider confesses to his wife about the affair. Well, his and wife is played by Anne Frank, who's very good. No, she's not. Anne Frank was not in this film. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Anne Frank is a completely different person. See, this is Anne Margaret. I'm so sorry. Anne, Anne Margaret, who I, I discovered was a major singing star and worked with people like Lee Hazelwood, you know, who worked with Nancy Sinatra. Anyway, so I'm just trying to claw back some street cred, having said Anne Frank when I meant Anne Margaret. But would you agree that Anne Margaret is very good? Um... I think she's very good in that scene. She, her line immediately after his confession, uh, she has to live, I believe, is feel better, which I think is a very good line. Also, she's got a really, yeah. really lovely cat. Cat? Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, there, I, I've actually written cat exclamation mark in my notes. Well, the cat, the nice cat is great. What is even greater is that the cat isn't a sacrificial token for the bad guys to get, because the bad guys don't get them. Um, going back to John Glover, yeah. what accent was he doing? Is that a Chicago accent? Look, I couldn't possibly tell you, but he's a really great, creepy bad guy because he's sort of he's a psycho, but he enjoys being a psycho and he's having fun. Would you agree? I, I would, but I have seen him do this in a lot of other films, oh, he was, even Gremlins Two. He was new to me, so what else has he been in that you, that, you know uh, that you know of? Unfortunately, Gremlins Two is the only one I can think of no, at the top. But, of my but head. he's a familiar face to you in a way he wasn't to me. Now, is it yeah. Clarence Williams the second who plays Bobby Shy? The third. Third. Forgive me. I thought he was dynamite. I thought all those bad guys are dynamite, but they were, and their interaction and their eccentricity and the particularly with Bobby Shy and Alan, the utter unpredictable nature. Like you just have no idea if they're going to start killing people. It's really quite unsettling. And I thought they were yeah. indelible characters. Well, I thought Joe was the, the better of the three, actually. Um, Joe being who? Ro Robert Trebor. Uh, the, the guy that runs the porn center, the Leo, gay guy. Leo. Did I say... Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Leo. no, well, he's wonderful because he's this incredible kind of sweaty, nervous, sleazy guy. The reason I'm downplaying him that, that in terms of what he achieves in the plot, he, he's not like the other guys. He's kind of the loser amongst the three. But in terms of his performance, yes, he's really good. He's the only character who goes through any kind of change. What is the change he goes through? Well, he starts off in control, ordered, <laughs> quite sleazy, and by the end of it, he's just had enough Falling and apart. just wants to get out. It doesn't help Whereas the a... other two are quite happy to carry on doing what they're doing. He's, is and it... Roy Scheider is no different from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. He still doesn't accept it's all his fault. Well, Leo is a major alcoholic. <laughs> that has to be noted. And... In the book, he's not gay, and the gay thing is kind of good because it just lends some, it lends, it makes the character more three dimensional. Also, there's that really sad bit at the end where his boyfriend's saying like, "Let's just get out of here," and he doesn't, and they get both get killed as a result. Mere seconds later. Yeah, by Bobby Shine in a classic kind of black exploitation gangland assassination. How did you get on with the music? Okay, now, here's this is interesting. I'm not a big fan of Gary Chang. Is that who it was? Yeah. But in Dead Bang, 
Gary Chang <laughs> is also credited with the music, and the music's really good in Dead Bang, but that's partly because they got Michael Kamen in uh, on one of his first... To do the music. On one of his first ever assignments to do a bunch of sort of additional music by. But I thought Gary... Oh, Kamen, I thought you said Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> I was very, very worried about you after the Anne Frank thing. <laughs> I'll never, never be able to live that out. Michael Kamen is very distinguished. Well, you spotted that it was Michael Kamen after a moment, yeah. yeah. Uh, oddly enough, Michael Caine did work with John Frankenheimer, but not on any of these movies. Yeah, so Gary Chang isn't usually... Because his scores are highly electronic, but I thought it was pretty effective in this. And there's also a lot of use of uh, some source music, jazz music by George Russell, who's a great jazz composer. But the music in this isn't great. The photography, I thought, was excellent. And the set design especially at, um, uh, at Alan's pad, which is like mirrored ceiling and it's full of, uh, it's full of lava lamps uh, I, and uh, at various other locations. I thought this is a very strong movie visually, very well made. And you've got to love any film that's set in a projection booth. <laughs> well, the other thing is that the world of pornography and striptease and sleazy clubs, which is definitely the milieu of both the book and the film, in the book, it's set in, not Chicago, but forgive me, it's set in Detroit. But in the movie, it's very sensibly moved to Los Angeles, not only because it's cheaper to shoot there, but it, that this is the hub of the porn industry, right? So a movie about strip clubs and porno theaters sits very naturally in Los Angeles. And, but as a consequence of this, one of the extras on the, uh, on the Arrow release, it's a really good extra, is called something like Porn Star Cameos, because... Especially in that well, part. Ron Jeremy's in it, isn't he? Yeah, and and that sequence at at, um, at uh, John Glover's house where there's a big party going on. The, the, the documentary they just keep freeze framing it and naming another porn star. So if you're into sort of '80s porn stars, there that there's a major bit of side interest in this. It has to be said this is not a pornographic or even softcore pornographic movie. There's just there there's occasional glimpse of sort of a, an exotic dancer in the background, but that's about it. Given that Alan is supposed to be well into his hardcore, yep. it doesn't depict that. And I think it would now, if this film was made now, it would be pretty grim. I don't but think because it it's would, the 80s. I, I mean, we were having this discussion on one of our other podcasts, but I was saying how as th there's this incredible kind of prudery and lack of nerve had crept in, especially with exploitation movies where they just stop doing nudity and I feel that that's still pretty much where we are now it's very unusual to get any nudity in a movie so if they were making this movie now the last thing you'd see would be any hint of hardcore yeah well, I'm not so sure I, th I think you get away with it provided you're not going for a big cinema release so did you enjoy watching this film yeah I did oh um, like I say it's it's a canon film I hadn't seen before I don't usually like Frankenheimer which I thought it best not what to mention earlier. What else have you seen by him? Uh, Turns out nothing. <laughs> well, no, there's that fucking awful thing with um, Robert De Niro driving cars around, which bought the living that was, Yes, so. that was called Ronin, and it was his last yes. movie. And I can understand your sentiments about that. Uh, I think it's quite an effective thriller, but it's completely empty. Besides that... Not a big... Uh, here we go, I've got a quick list here. Uh, what have I seen? Didn't like Birdman of Alcatraz, didn't like Manchurian Candidate. Oh, Manchurian Candidate. Well then, I, sorry, this is the last time we'll speak because I love <laughs> that movie. What else don't, don't um, you like that's great? I wouldn't have watched French Connection too because I don't like French Connection. Oh, but it's, that's a very good film as well. And... Uh, quick look. Oh, I loved Dr. Moreau. Jesus, did he do that? Yes, but he's uh, the first to admit that that was a Farrago. And I... I 
constantly try to watch Reindeer Games because I'm sure it must be a good film. Reindeer but, Games is so close to being a good film. Uh, but it, 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 anyway, it's an interesting I film. I always switch seeing. it off a few minutes in. And Prophecy with Christopher Walken, is that that one? Uh, oh my not God, no, no, it's nothing to do with Christopher Walken, but it, that, again, no. is a, he's it's made some slips, but he's also made a lot of masterpieces, amongst which are the Manchurian candidate. But the, the Actually, reason, this one looks quite interesting, this prophecy. There is a prophecy with um, Christopher Walken, though, isn't there? Not to my knowledge, but you usually write about these things. So prophecy mm. is about, uh, it's about critters, mutated critters as a result of pollution in the swamps. But that's... Oh, that old story. No, we <laughs> Another must, one of those. We <laughs> must watch that movie. So we'll watch that, but we'll also watch the Manchurian Candidate so we can have a proper disagreement about it. So, th- and also, I'd like you at some point to actually read some Elmore Leonard novels rather than just thinking you've read them. Yeah, like I said, I looked through the whole list and nothing rang a bell. And I can remember buying Rum Punch after Jackie Brown came out and I never got round to reading it. Well, don't worry. What we will do is we will watch either <laughs> Out of Sight or... Um, out of Sight would be a good one, the Soderbergh. Or Get Shorty. Out of Sight is a horrible film, so I don't want to read the book. You've seen the film? Yes. Okay, well, we'll do Get Shorty, and then you can do the film and the book. Well, that's a really bad film as well. But I'm sure I've got a feeling the book's probably a lot better than the film on that one. We'll, so we will do some more Leonard, and uh, I'm, well, we'll have to disagree about Don't forget, I've done the Moonshine War as well, so. But <laughs> I, need to, was... I need to do that. Anyway, so Elmore Leonard, yes. John Frankenheimer, who comes out best in this movie amongst any of the people involved? Robert Trebor, I think, because the poor sod doesn't really done much else before or since. Who plays Leo? Um, yes, the, the peep show yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a good role for him. and as I remember I was looking him up while I was watching it because I couldn't work out if I'd ever seen him in anything, and I hadn't. And he hadn't really done much before or after. It's been a fairly quiet career. I think that if anybody's interested in Elmore who's an Elmore Leonard fan, as I said at the beginning, this is one of the very few movies, there's four of them, that is true to his books and is true to the spirit of his books. It's well worth watching from that point of view. If you just want to see a good crime thriller, I would highly recommend this, uh, except for the rather silly Hollywood ending. Apart from that, I think it's fine. <laughs> there is this problem with the women in the film, that, but that's built in. Uh, in the book, the book serves a Mitch's wife a lot better. Uh, Barbara, I think she's called. Uh, and so that's one of the flaws. In the movie, they try really hard to give Anne Margaret, not Anne Frank, but Anne Margaret, uh, a <laughs> To build up her role, but they do this by giving her a really high-powered job, and that that never works. I remember when I was working on a TV show called Casualty, if they wanted to sort of reward an actor, and sort of improve their status, they'd give them a promotion, like in the hospital <laughs> where they worked, and that never worked because the more, the higher you're promoted, the further you are away from any of the interesting things that happen. So in this movie, Anne Margaret is is, is working in, in a political campaign. It doesn't matter. It's nothing to do with the story. It completely fails. So she's kind of in a, in a dead-end role. But she does have a very nice cat. I once spoke to a director of The Bill who said that during lunch breaks they would pair off in ranks so the, the higher-up officers <laughs> would sit at a table and the lower-ranked PCs would sit at another one. Helena Bonham Carter said when she was doing Planet of the Apes the apes would sit with the apes and the monkeys would sit with the monkeys. Oh, they were all method on that film, though, weren't they? <laughs> Right, so 52, 52 pick up, um, so you sort of thought it was okay. And I, I like it a lot because it's a genuine Elmore Leonard film. It's made by Frank and Armour, who, despite all the things that Matt has said, is one of the great filmmakers of the 20th century. Bollocks. It's a good uh, canon film, though. It sits nicely in the canon it's, canon. It's surprisingly high quality for a canon film, not least because it's Frank and Armour's involved. Mm.
This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Shit. Motherfucker bust in your house. You always serving drinks.